Hello and welcome to another Architecture Podcast. I'm George Bradley, architect and director of London-based studio Bradley van der Straten. This podcast is for anyone who's interested in going behind the scenes of designing a house. I talk to architects from around the world about how they create inspirational places to live. In this episode, I'm joined by Monique and Scott Woodward, founders of award-winning Melbourne-based studio Wawowa Architects. If Willy Wonka ever needed to commission an architect, this is the team he would choose. Different, rule-breaking, lickable and yummy are all words that have been used to describe their house designs. I catch up with them to find out how they create some of their incredible houses, discuss why narrative is important in their work and why they think life is too short for boring spaces. Scott and Monique, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank no you so much for having us. <laughs> so, Wawawa Architects, it's, it's a distinctive name. It's a very different name. It's not the kind of name that you'd expect of an architecture practice. Um, but somehow I think it does really describe your work very well in a, in a kind of bizarre way. But could you maybe tell me a little bit about how you came up with the name and why you chose it? Uh, it was basically just our last names. So there was um, three directors uh, Jen Wood, Scott Woodward, and I was Monique Brady Ward. And then Jen went overseas to study in Columbia University. Uh, then I married Scott. <laughs> so um, it became, yeah, Woodward Ward Architecture. And then we uh, abbreviated it to Wawawa, basically. And then, yeah, we've been playing with, we only work with, uh, we only work on wonderful architecture or wacky architecture. Or, Weird architecture. <laughs> yeah. Or, uh... So. Um, some marketing spin to give it another <laughs> another uh, reason for being, but yes, essentially we were hoping at some point it would just transcend like Qantas, um, <laughs> and, and people would know how to say it. But yeah, and do you think? I mean, I was saying it kind of. I think it does describe your work, and but also your approach to to how you work. Um, was there a kind of when you were setting up? Whoa, whoa, whoa! Was was there a mission? Could we say, or was there an ambition of what the kind of work that you wanted to be, to do that that maybe fit with the name as well? Yeah, very much so. I mean, we um, set up the practice to be the, you know, the firm that we wished we'd worked at as students. That was kind of one of our um, key mantras. We we love mantras. Mm. The other one was life's too short for boring spaces, and uh, we felt like that kind of encapsulated um, what we were trying to be and do. Um, a really generous kind of happy uh, space for people to work in and um, therefore then the work would be fun and and worth doing. Yeah. No, totally. (laughs) (laughs) Is that something you felt was, was there frustration there that maybe there were a lot of boring spaces or that there was architects that you were seeing that maybe weren't doing the kind of work and you were kind of thinking, come on guys, let's, let's inject a bit of fun into this. I mean, I guess like Melbourne, you know, it's this very kind of amazing microcosm of architecture, I think. It's sort of, um, you know, during the 80s, it really did kind of look inwards and start to navel gaze. Um, And, you know, it has its own level of nostalgia and kitsch and, um, uh, you know, and vernacular very much so. And so we kind of, uh, our visual language really does come out of that um, sort of radical postmodernism, um, you know, or, or sort of, uh, yeah, really kind of gritty 
Melbourne postmodernist kind of um, work that was happening at the time. You know, Melbourne has a, has a very um, diverse range of sort of practice um, and visual languages that, that are extremely colourful and optimistic and narrative-based and, you know, I think that that's really a very unique condition and so we're kind of uh, love children of that, um, you know, of that um, architectural discourse that, that came out of, um, you know, a sort of uh, hero of ours who was Peter Corrigan that came, you know, came back from uh, Memphis land <laughs> back to <laughs> Melbourne and really did kind of um, set up um, a, an interest in, um, you know, Australian iconography and understanding what that was and un- unpacking that and celebrating that, um, those sort of small wins and those um, little gestures. And so, yeah, I think it is a very, very unique condition. You know, a lot of, um, you know, inter- um, international lecturers, um, you know, Scott and I both taught at RMIT and Monash University, you know, sort of come over to Melbourne and they're like, what the hell is going on? You guys just lost lost your shit basically. Um, and you get these like very, you know, um, intense um, facade treatments and, um, you know, it's, it's very kind of conceptual and less, um, you know, material uh, based, less, um, less kind of, you know, the colourscapes of the city, Melbourne. Mm. Um, I don't know if you've been to Melbourne, George. I have actually, yeah. I did, well, I used to work for um, an architect that's, that's based out of Melbourne, but in their London office. So I went there for, for work oh, years wow. ago, about 10 years yeah. ago. Denton Corker Marshall was the, the architect. Yeah, yeah. That I've obviously designed a lot of... Um, big sort of public buildings in yeah. in and around Melbourne. Um, yeah, right? yeah, they're crazy. <laughs> like they're so crazy. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I remember what I, what I loved about working for them was there was this, there was this kind of can-do attitude. So they'd enter competitions mm. over here in the UK and, and beat some of the kind of megaliths of, of kind of high-tech and, and 90s and 2000 architecture yeah. by just sort of turning things on its head. And I, th- and I think that's, that's what I love about your work. There's something very liberating about it you you're clearly enjoying what you're doing and i feel like your clients are clearly enjoying what you're doing um it seems like a fun process working with you um one of the things that i wanted to ask you about is i I think that my feeling is that you don't over intellectualize architecture either and i mean that as a as a compliment is that something that's quite important to you you go (laughs) (laughs) you haven't spoken yet no no no. i'll jump in but you start I mean, um, maybe elaborate on what you mean a bit. Well, um, I think there's an element of your work that you you don't take yourselves too seriously, and I think some architecture firms do, and I think that comes across in the work and your creative output. And I just wondered whether that was something. Um, it's something that I relate to. I feel it's quite important to not over intellectualize architecture. It's it's for everybody, and it shouldn't be mm. about sort of smart words, and it should be fun. Um, and but I think you're the kind of practice that I really look up to, uh, that a real kind of proponents of that kind of work. Yeah, because I think that, um, like you know, for us, like site and context is quite important. And but I think that what we like to do is sort of take what is there and around and amplify certain aspects of it to make it more sort of playful and engaging, and like try and add a new sort of layer of history over the top of that and try and push it forward in this new direction. Um, yeah, so an example of that might be, um, you know, one of our houses, Finn House, their client was a horticulturalist and said that, you know, she wanted 
um, a house that kind of really sort of fit in with the landscape, the colours of the landscape. And then there was a whole bunch of bottle brushes, so really intense Australian red um, bottle brush flowers around the site. And we sort of said, well, you know, you could go with green um, and grey and um, fit in with the tea trees that are those kind of silvery colours or you could make, uh, yeah, a 25-metre-long, 7-metre-high, bright red wall um, that kind of pierced the side and, um, and and, um, you know, engaged with those uh, or, you know, mediated the site. And so I guess it's those kind of surprising elements that we like to pull out that are kind of, yeah, very narrative-based but unexpected and but then kind of, um, deeply cultural as well because it is engaging and celebrating something that isn't actually normally celebrated as yeah. a kind of um, an engagement with context. Yeah, and I think people tend to, you know, when people tend to talk about fitting in with the landscape and working with the landscape, they tend to go for the more muted kind of tones to blend in. But equally there's, you know, fields of incredibly bright colours and flowers that are just super, super bright and brightly coloured birds and I guess we're sort of like why go for the muted thing if you can go for these super really like fun engaging things so I guess you know yeah and then always having always having these narratives and like little Mm. stories throughout um throughout our projects is really important and these sort of little moments and I think that um you know each you know every architect in town probably would say that their work responds to context or Mm. responds to site and then and is narrative based, but I guess it's, um, you know, the nuance around what narrative actually means and your interpretation of that. Mm. Um, and then, you know, that, that ours, uh, you know, our projects sort of aim to be these kind of really nice sort of comfort blanket blankets of a fresh yeah. vis- visual language. That's um, that is kind of nostalgic. Um, but then it's also kind of reframed and, refreshed under these new you know kind of sort of contemporary stories that that people bring so for example um you know we just put a yellow bench top in one of our projects and it's this really yum resin and it feels like a paddle pop i don't know if paddle pops are only in australia or this everywhere uh i i don't really know them but um that's probably just me it's like banana flavored <laughs> ice cream <laughs> it's like extremely delicious like from everyone you know from from people's childhoods basically. And so, um, yeah, you know, having these incredible clients that want to be taken on this journey and are really keen to embellish these, um, these, these feelings that, um, make a home a forever home. Yeah. And sort of embrace those feelings and help people. That's a story to be told when they take their friends around the house about each one of these kind of elements that are within the house and each part has a story and they build up this bigger, narrative of the story of the family within the house can i ask you a little bit about how that process works from from the perspective of a client coming to you and starting a project on their home how does this sort of narrative begin how do you engage with them and 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 start developing initial designs i mean in the very first client meeting we would say that we're going to be dating for three years (laughs) (laughs) You know, like we would sort of say to them, like this is this is a love affair, and um and we want it to be emotional, and mm. um I think that that gets people in the mood. We sort of ask them to pick a spirit animal, 
So, um, you know, which some people get a bit scared about that they were going to pick the wrong animal. Yeah, overthink it a little bit. <laughs> um, but, you know, we sort of say, look, it's fine. It can evolve over time. And, um, you know, it really is around that colour story um, that helps us get an insight into their intuitive um, personality because often people have sort of maybe styled their space or, uh, you know, in a way that seems sort of magazine-y. Um, but usually the giveaway is what someone's wearing. Um, you know, the, most of our clients, you know, are kind of the same. Like they they dress um, in these really kind of amazing colours. They are kind of these, um, you know, people who appreciate really good design and um, they know that, that, that they need to, that's something that they need to lean into with a professional. You know, a lot of the time they have kids um, you know, most of the time they've got, you know, um, yeah, you know, we, we sort of say early on that you need to choose us um, and that, you know, if they've only interviewed us um, and no one else, we insist that they go and interview someone else because we want them to be bought in 100%. Um, and so I think it starts from that initial place of trust and um, and getting to know them and that, that they, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, we might choose a material that's um, more subdued and they'll say, no, life's too short <laughs> for boring spaces. Like, let's go with the bright orange. And we're like, wow, okay, let's, okay, let's do it. I was actually going to ask you that whether, because I think it's interesting that kind of dynamic of there's how you present yourselves and, and the type of work you do is naturally going to impact the kind of people that you attract as well. And I was going to ask whether, sometimes that happens the other way around that the clients really surprise you and they sort of take you on a tangent that you just didn't see i mean maybe was has anyone ever picked a spirit animal that you thought wow i really wasn't expecting that <laughs> i mean i think when you open the door of like choose a spirit animal you can't really be surprised at the crazy <laughs> outcomes of that and you know it's you know it's that intuitive playfulness that you know childlike quality that i think we all crave um, you know, sitting in front of our screens all the time. And so just, you know, play, playing with materials and, um, you know, and digging deep into, you know, a client's, um, you know, who they are, you know, did they grow up in the, in the country? Did they grow up overseas? You know, wh- where, where is it that, that they, that they became a person and mm. actually exploring that um, and their, and allowing their idiosyncrasies to, come to the surface I think is a almost therapeutic uh, and sort of exploring that spatially as well and you know trying to bring those those qualities into the space as well so that they really feel like they're engaged with with the house or the space or yeah for example Mary Creek House um, you know the client was from a farm and we both discovered that we well, we we both we both realised we loved those kind of old um, water towers, brick water towers that um, you know exist all all throughout the, yeah, the so countryside. Pretty much every sort of country town in you know Victoria um, uh, back you know early nineteen hundreds would have like a large sort of brick water tower with a steel tank on top of it that would gravity feed and um, uh, take the water throughout the whole town um and you know this was one of the relics that was 
in you know where she grew up. So it was something that she was quite familiar with. And within the context of their site, there was a lot of Art Deco houses around. So there was a lot of you know really um, like decorative brickwork, a lot of sort of waterfall style chimneys and things like that. So it's like the two objects kind of melded together. Um, and that began to set up the context for the house as well. And it was also the houses next to a creek and it had quite a large um, sort of levee at the back to stop the creek when it was flooding coming down over onto the site. So it sort of had this nice water theme to it as well. So it, it's sort of stitching all of those things together to, again, to kind of underline that narrative that sort of ties back to, um, you know, things that she remembered. And this, you know, this house kind of, um, you know, became these, these, you know, three big double-storey brick turrets, um, you know, cylindrical forms that kind of set up a very deco, triple-fronted brick veneer um, sort of uh, typology, which is a very, um, it's my favourite typology. <laughs> Basically yeah. it's a post-war, um, you know, thing where the more, um, you know, that the house kind of steps back um, in tiers and uh, the more tiers you had, yeah. the more status you had as this sort of yeah. post-war house. And so yeah. we were interested in embellishing that kind of, you know, status because obviously this was going to be a very grand house and um, that, you know, that was set up from the front but then these big turrets kind of um, dissolved into the landscape towards the back and became this deconstructed ruin um, that was similar to, <clears throat> you know, a lot of burnt-out houses uh, in the countryside as well where, you would only have the chimney left standing. Um, and so it was meant to be this legacy project and um, it was meant to be, you know, robust as hell. Um, so I think, you know, they're, they're the kind of things that we that we think, um, you know, you said before about intellectualising the architecture. I think for us it's around um, language that's familiar and, um, you know, talking about complex architectural ideas in very simple ways for us is the highest brow um, of all because it means that you're able to get emotional buy-in from people who wouldn't ordinarily talk about architecture and love architecture and fall in love with it. And that's our aim. And everybody loves food. And you mentioned food earlier in one of your projects. Um, And I can't, I can't not sort of ask you about that because it, it features, it's a recurring theme that does come back in a lot of projects. And for people that maybe don't know your work, there's one of your projects where there's a kitchen island that I think you mentioned that the family really liked. Uh, I hope I don't get this wrong, but lamb cutlets. Is that right? <laughs> yes, they were Greek. Yeah. Um, yeah, they were kind of Greek. So they were really into, um, they loved their lamb and they barbecued a lot. Um, <laughs> and yeah, you know, they used to have um, Greek Easter and Christmas. They used to have everybody come around and they'd have this massive um barbecue outside so part of the project was this big outdoor um tiered deck that stepped down into the garden so it sort of worked as a um an expanded staircase that linked the top of the house down to the garden but also as this big deck that worked over you know for christmas period and all that sort of thing when they had everyone around yeah because i think the island bench was actually set up to fit 30 plates yeah so that you could they could dish up for the whole family or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and you know, we did a, another island bench that was made out of um, this chocolatey 
res- swirly resin that was just uh, like cake mixture. Yeah, exactly. And so for the photo shoot, of course, we were like making cake mixture, and <laughs> um, you know when you do the whole setup for the for the shoot. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think the thing is that food is something. It's so kind of universal and cultural and. And it sort of links um, d- that sort of idea now that, you know, the kitchen's the heart of the home, like it used to be the fireplace and the hearth, but now it's, you know, contemporary life. It's more about kitchen and eating and preparing food. So I think it's really sort of break, embracing that idea and, again, trying to overlay narrative onto onto objects within the house. So, you know, the, the kitchen bench um, becomes, you know, almost like an informal table to share stories and prepare food. Um, and you like tiger prawn as well, another food-based project that, um, you know, like, I guess it does reoccur quite a bit. And in that shoot, it just had all seafood on the, on the tape, on the, um, island bench. Mm. Island benches are really big. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. But I love the one that you mentioned about the, the chocolate, um, cake mix island that we love that one at Bradley van der Straten this one we've referenced quite a lot when we've been talking to clients but you describe that one as um I think on your website it says it's it's lickable architecture and you describe um candied peels and things like this it's so it's so evocative um but it's talking about the senses is that something you know smell is that smell texture all these kind of senses do you think they're things that can sometimes be overlooked um when designing a home yeah completely and um, you know, I think that, um, you know, at aiming for coziness and, and familiarity and, um, you know, what's, you know, the extraordinary ordinary is something that we think about all the time um, because I think people overlook uh, what they do on a day-to-day basis and, you know, drawing that out, I think, um, sort of highlights something special and, um, you know, because essentially you know, most people, most of the renovations that we do, you know, the kitchen was probably a super dodgy 1970s number. Um, and then, you know, maybe they didn't cook that much. And so, um, yeah, the other than storage, which is like the Australian dream <laughs> um, to get in as much storage as possible, um, you know, it is around, you know, cooking in the family. And um, I think that that's been um, really lovely a lovely sort of silver lining of the covid movement um or not movement pandemic global <laughs> terrible pandemic um that you know the kids have been out of school and so you know there's been a lot of baking and um you know a lot of cl- clients have sent us photos of um yeah the house totally torn apart by the kids but just you know all of these activities you know one of the island benches that we has um that we did has a marble nugget and that was for kneading specifically. And so, yeah, we have these um, photos of, yeah, bread everywhere and flour. And I don't know, it's sort of nice because, um, you know, I, I mean, I guess another uh, sort of leveler has been, you know, you'll, you'll be talking to these really fancy pants clients and over Zoom because that's how we've been communicating and their hair's just like, you know, everywhere and then, you know, yeah, I'm pregnant, so my hair's just everywhere and, you know, you're talking to these sort of philanthropists and, um, you know, I think it's sort of this nice sort of levelling, you know, cooking and, um, and you know, I guess like shared hardship is something that we kind of um, feel is, um, is spatialised 
and and that something's nice. Mm. So you've designed um, a lot of houses. You've done a lot of renovations, and I think Mary Creek is—is is that your first new build house that you've done? Is that right? Uh, second, uh, Finn House was our first. Right, and how did you, with a background of doing a lot of refurbishments, how did you find the dynamic and the shift to then doing a new build house? For example, our company—we've we've not done a new build house yet, and um, I imagine it's a very sort of different set of parameters that you're maybe working with when you're sort of picking up on narrative and context. Did you find that challenging? No, I mean, I guess in both instances, um, you know, Finhouse was the red, um, the red bottle brush that we spoke about earlier, um, and then Mary Creek was the, you know, looking at the, the sort of the street, you know, the burbs, as we call it, um, and the wilderness of the the site. And so, um, I mean, I think that we have the same attitude, you know, we have the same kind of manifesto um, and approach to any project which I think is about just embellish, embellishment um, and and story. So, yeah, I mean, we would love um, some more new builds. <laughs> um, but, you know, we're doing uh, some extremely large renovations as well. So we kind of, you know, have the same approach and and I guess that's why people come to us because they sort of know what they're going to get at this point. Um, you know, after 10 years of practice, I think you sort of build up a certain, you know, a profile and, you know, on our website there's, um, you know, all the colours and mm. all the textures. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think we, we sort of approach it in the same in the same way. Yeah, it's the same kind of strategy. I guess with um, the renovation we're kind of looking a bit more intensely at the kind of context of the house. But then when you sort of move to new build, I guess you pull out a little bit there's a footy term here that's called lifting your eyes to sort of see a little bit further. So it's a little bit like that. You sort of lift your eyes and see a little bit, take a broader sweep across, you know, the street or something like that and try and see what the, you know, what context is stitched into the street that you could kind of play with. That's AFL, by the way. <laughs> Australian. <laughs> Australian <laughs> AFL. Yeah. Have they, are there any things that you, with reference to house design, um, that you haven't done yet that you'd really love the opportunity to do? Something you'd really want to get your hands on or a brief that you'd love to work with? There's quite a thing at the moment here with the um, the really romanticised Australian country thing with a house on top of a hill without any kind of context at all. It's just sort of sitting there the isolated object. I mean, something like that might be quite challenging for us to really like get stuck into and see how we'd approach that because they're always very romanticized sort of farmhouse. Yeah. Farmhouse style. Thing. Whereas, you know, I have that- a fantasy of doing um, a, a like really ironic Georgian <laughs> <laughs> villa. <laughs> like just, you know, like some kind of really kind of Baroque, you know, um, kind of just total mishmash. Yeah. Like just, I don't know. <laughs> like, um, Go for Baroque. Yeah. I'd love to do a Baroque new build that just sort of had these oversized like eau de bouffe, <laughs> <laughs> like windows that were just like dahlia or something, you know, like someone that just had way too much money 
uh, than sense and we just went like fully nuts <laughs> yeah like an actual trophy house that looked like a trophy yeah quite on a hill as well. like on why a hill. not exactly yeah. with cows around that's, it that's a good call out if anyone's listening and that's what they're after then <laughs> <laughs> well have you ever worked abroad or outside of australia because i'd be really interested to know that you mentioned georgian houses i'd love to know what you guys would do if you could get hold of let's say a typical london victorian terrace house what would you do with it um but have you had the opportunity to work abroad before no not really um i mean i guess that's sort of an interesting thing though because you know i think that our practice is so melbourne centric um you know it's so kind of referential i feel like in a way it would be sort of odd to kind of step out of that context because um you know we like to mess fundamentally we like to mess with things um, and so I guess it would be sort of slightly harder to mess with, um, a context that you weren't a hundred percent familiar with because there's a lot of irony and, and larrikinism yeah. tied into what we do. Um, and it's a bit Melbourne too. Like one of our old, um, sort of lecturers, he was Spanish and I remember just hearing him sort of talking about Melbourne and he was like, it just seems like at some point Melbourne stopped looking at what the rest of the world was doing and just turned its gaze back on itself and then it just got in, stuck in this never-ending feedback loop where it just started referencing itself. Mm. Sneaky and he was saying, Yeah, sneaky <laughs> But he was saying it in a really negative way and I was like, yeah, that's cool. Like that's what Melbourne did. Yeah. And, you know, that's where it sort of is because th- there's a very different approach to architecture from Melbourne to Sydney as well. But I do love the idea of, you know, DCM, as you were saying, mm. having a um, a London office um, and then, yeah, bringing this kind of yeah. bizarre, uh, you know, visual language or attitude to um, the civic realm. And I guess like, uh, you know, unlike DCM who when they were 30 years old were doing, uh, you know, city squares <laughs> that they had this opportunity to to do these city shaping projects, we, um, you know, our practice does both residential um, and it also does civic. And so, um, you know, I guess we we sort of like to flex <laughs> other muscles as yeah. well. And so, yeah, maybe we should start entering, uh, you know, big London competitions. <laughs> but I think times have kind of changed um, and, you know, we, we kind of you know, prefer to, um, you know, maybe work with smaller community groups rather than yeah. doing those big international competitions and, and sort of create projects from the ground up, which is and we are a bit fun. resentful when you know big London firms come over to <laughs> Melbourne and they try and you know tell us what it's all about, and we're like, please calm down. <laughs> you know, um, I think I think we'd welcome you over here to do. I'd love to see what you do with the with the, the classic kind of London kitchen extension, the side, yeah. the side return we call it. Yeah, I'm not totally sure anyone would give us a job, <laughs> but yeah, open, very open to it. Love love traveling when we're allowed to in two years time or whatever. Um, yeah. Um. So, have you got any advice for people that might be planning um work on their house and um not not just in Melbourne, just anybody anybody that might be listening. Um, if you got any kind of what, if you could give one tip to somebody that was planning the house, what would be that tip? I guess to, to not necessarily be looking at magazines for reference and inspiration, but to actually look around your own home, um, or the objects that you have and find something that is so 
deeply personal um, and start from that place. So, for example, uh, you know, clients, uh, one of the client, one of our clients came to us and had uh, this gorgeous, you know, plate that she'd been given for her for their wedding. Um, and yeah, it was a wedding gift. Yeah, a wedding gift, and it was just the most beautiful sort of eggshell, um, duck egg kind of um, mottled thing. And you know that she, we sort of said, well, that that's the bathroom, right? Yeah. Like we'll 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 turn this plate into the bathroom. And um, you know they met on a blind date, and so we painted. Uh, there was this color called blind date, and it happened to be kind of similar to this plate and so we painted the ceiling of the bathroom in this color and um you know I think that uh you know it's those kind of things that you know are fairly universal everyone has stories um you know and, and it's what binds us together personal stories um you know I, I ran a um conference last year the um Australian Institute of Architects National Conference and that was all about celebrating personal stories um, at a at a cultural level, um, you know, rather than at a as a as a, re, uh, as a residential um, kind of thing because it was a, it was a bigger construct. But yeah, essentially, I think that there's nothing more powerful than a personal story, and so mm. I think people anywhere around the world should start there and and then you know trust their architect to actually play with that in a way that's spatial that they could have never imagined. Um, and just maybe just don't be so serious. <laughs> yeah, because people always seem to get, um, you know, advised to, you know, keep it as... Um, bland. Yeah, keep it as sort of bland and open and, you know, so that anybody could sort of move in there, whereas I guess we're the complete opposite in that it's like make it personal. Mm. And, you know, by making it personal, you're going to get a much better result that actually has character and it's not generic and it's not empty and vacuous. Yeah, and they'll never leave. And then if they yeah. do, the, the person that buys it is going to buy it because it feels homely. Yeah, and, so. and they're going to, like, fall in love with it. So, mm. you know, they're probably going to go harder and try and buy it or something like that mm. rather than it just being some generic space that, you know, could be anywhere. Yeah, and, you know, because I guess that's the ornament of the past. Um you know, these beautiful kind of Queen Anne buildings and, um, you know, these houses that are kind of arts and crafts, you know, they're, they're full of ornament and story. Mm. And so the idea that that got blanded out during uh, the modernist time, mm. I guess we're just like bringing back, um, bring back the ornament. Mm. What's your home like? Is your home like a Wawawa project? <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. Our house is, um, I mean, the, the objects that we have in our house, uh, we, we live in a Californian bungalow, which is sort of strange. Um, you know, it was popularised in the 1930s as a style that came over from America um, and it was just this kind of bastard, uh, bastardization of um, Edwardian and Victorian, which are very different kind of understandings in in. London as they are in Australia, but yeah, it's this kind of um, yeah mix, which I think we really like. We love mm. the kind of clashing of styles, and so um, yeah, I mean it's it's full with objects that we've collected from 
all over the world, you know, rugs from Japan and, Hmm. um, you know, lamps from Italy and things like that. So I guess it's that kind of eclectic, um, yeah, celebrating that sort of eclecticism that we um, ask our clients to embrace. Yeah. The facade is easily the most colourful facade in the street, though. <laughs> yes, yeah, true. It's a rust colour. <laughs> I wouldn't expect any less. <laughs> um, so I've got there's three questions that I'm asking all of my guests, um, and I want to start actually with with your home because I don't think that every architect's home is perfect. I know that mine isn't. It's a work in progress, and will probably always be a work in progress. Um, but I want to ask you, what's the one thing that really annoys you about your home? Well, we haven't renovated our kitchen yet, so Scott Scott constantly swears (laughs) at the lack of island bench, (laughs) (laughs) so that would probably be the most annoying thing. Yeah, definitely the the kitchen at the moment. Yeah. And could you describe to me um, one home that either you've lived in or maybe you've visited that has made you feel happy and why? I mean, one of the houses, uh, one of my favourite experiences was that uh, Luigi Moretti house <laughs> that we visited, um, that we snuck into. Um, do you know what the name of that house is? Oh, I've actually forgotten the name of the house. Yeah. It's the house that's on the coast and basically um, just outside Rome. And you go, basically the house takes you from street level and then you pass through the house and then it drops you off at the beach, at beach level because it's right on a beach. And it's just, yeah, that was a pretty amazing experience going and seeing that and yeah because they were renovating and so the build we just walked i mean we're a bit of like uh yeah incognito like through a fence and like <laughs> over a thing to sneak into houses um we scott's an amazing sort of travel agent you would have made an amazing travel agent <laughs> um but yeah finding all of these really good homes but um yeah that this one was under construction so we asked the builder if we could look around and it was just like kid in a kid in a candy shop yeah it was was incredible yeah and then we snuck in there's a another house by moretti that's next door to it as well and i guess we were sort of emboldened by our experience going with the one so we tried to sneak in around the corner to the other house and just set off all the security alarms (laughs) that just started going off yeah but i got my i got my instagram so it's fine (laughs) I'd, I'd love it if the owner of that house is listening and knows that we're well, 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 <laughs> broke in. Um, and my my last question um, is: if you could choose any designer to design you a home, uh, who would you choose? Do they have to be alive? Nope, you can bring Ooh. someone back from the dead. I might go a bit of Boromini. I was about to say Boromini. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. No question. Boromini done. Oh, staircase, yum. <laughs> Yeah, I bet he'd do a good like shell, shell shaped. Yeah, kind of, yeah, that's that. Could be good. <laughs> that's that kind of who would you go? Oh man, no one's asked me that question before. Um, I think I'd go for instinctively. I'd say Louis Kahn. Um, nice, and it might be because we were talking about your Merry Creek project earlier. Oh, yeah. um, Louis Kahn's and, like a huge influence. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It reminds me of, of some of his great work. Um, yeah, so off the cuff, I think I'd go for that. So obviously, we're doing pretty well if we're financially, if we're going for um, Borromini and Louis Kahn just knocking up houses for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll see. Full gangster. They're going to be quite large. Yeah, just a Renaissance kind of like 
<laughs> well, obviously, yeah. we have to find out what their fees are first, get a quote. <laughs> and then, as oh, you okay. said, we'll have to get two or three more and make sure they're right for us. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> well, when you're choosing between Khan and Borromania, I mean, <laughs> the personality. <laughs> they're going to be interesting presentations. Yeah, exactly. Um, Monique, Monique and Scott, thank you so much for joining me. I've really enjoyed that session. Thank, yeah, you, thank so you very much, much for having us. That fun. was fun. Thank you for listening to another Architecture Podcast. If you'd like to find out more about Wawawa Architects, please visit anotherarchitecturepodcast.com where you can read the blog about this episode, which is full of pictures and links to their work. I'm also featuring some of their projects on the podcast Instagram page. In the next episode, I'll be talking to architect Matthew Barnett Howland about his groundbreaking and award-winning project Cork House, the first house in the world to be constructed out of cork and plant-based materials. Thank you for listening.